Greetings from the People's Republic of Portland. Uh, on behalf of Ashley, Sam, Iris, and Willa, thank you for having us. Uh, thank you for the warm welcome. Uh, and thank you for having us back. I don't expect you to remember, but I was here last year, I think this weekend, um, a, a, exactly a year ago, when Thomas and your leaders were at the beach last year, and uh, we were really encouraged by our time of worship with you. And uh, if I remember correctly, I think I brought a message from Titus 1 on elders, and uh, today I'm really uh, excited to bring to you a message from the book of Proverbs, so you can even be turning there in your Bibles now. But again, uh, greetings from Henson Baptist Church in Portland. Great to be with you this morning. Uh, thanks again. Um, I don't remember the day I was born, but I remember my 19th birthday. It was uh, a warm, humid day in Bowling Green, Kentucky, when my parents dropped me off at Western Kentucky University for college. I'm uh, the firstborn in my family, and I remember my parents were a mess. They were crying all over the place. They cried a lot on the way, the two-hour drive from Louisville, Kentucky down, and they had a hard time letting go as they dropped me off in my little cinder block uh, dorm room there in Pierce Ford Tower at Western Kentucky University. My parents were, like I said, um, very emotional. I, on the other hand, I was fine. I was, I was doing okay. I was excited about being at college and being independent. Um, and uh, I realize now how little awareness I had what my parents were going through uh, when they dropped off their firstborn uh, at college. I had no appreciation for the journey that my parents had gone through in, in raising me. My mom, from her carrying me in her womb to feeding me, nurturing me, teaching me how to walk and talk, uh, all my needs just dependent on my parents. Um, I, they had done everything for me. And even for 19 years, even when I was 18, they were providing me with food and shelter and meeting all these needs that I didn't, I wasn't even aware of. I remember that first year of college, I was like, oh, I, I don't just have to, I have to like get my own toilet paper and paper towels. And this takes time. I have to think about these things because my parents had just met those needs, uh, for 19 years. And this is what good parents do, right? Good parents, um, teach their kids, uh, they they uh, meet their kids' needs when they're young, and then they teach their kids how to live in the world and how to interact. Um, we are more dependent upon our parents, I think, than we realize. And then some of us become parents, and then we maybe begin to slowly appreciate all that our parents did for us all those years. This is a little bit different. We are different in, as humans in terms of our dependence on our parents um, than other creatures in the animal kingdom. Snakes uh, lay eggs, and then they leave those eggs never to return again. Pandas usually have twins, and they take one of the twins with them and abandon the other, like almost immediately at birth. Harp seals... Okay, harp seal mothers, they take their young, care for them for a couple weeks, and then leave them to the elements, usually in very harsh conditions, like they're floating away 
on an iceberg. See you later, harp seal kids, just a couple weeks old. You know, there's many ways that hum we as humans are different than animals, obviously. Um, but not least of which is the difference in, way, in the way that we are dependent upon the young, are dependent upon the old. And then the cycle kind of comes back, right? As, as many of you will know, as your parents get older, then you begin to care for your parents. So it's like the cycle of dependency on one another. I think unknown in most other creatures in the animal kingdom. And so, kids, since you're here, and I have your attention at least right now at this point in the sermon, you are our retirement plan. So <laughs> just to warn you, uh, we're going to need your help. But I, I feel like I, you know, Ashley and I teach our kids to walk and to talk and all these different things. And even now they're teaching us, like Willa, how to use the, your Amazon Fire Kindle device. I can't even figure out how to turn that thing off half the time. But it's, uh, it's a cycle of both dependency and instruction that, that we have uh, uh, together in our families. And so what we're going to do today in the book of Proverbs is we're going to consider briefly, that parent and child relationship according to God's word, uh, particularly in the book of Proverbs. We're going to consider the parent and child relationship. Just a few words about the book of Proverbs. Um, it was written like 3,000 years ago, by, mainly by King Solomon, son of David of Israel, and some other kings of Israel, or some other kings as well. And it's really remarkable, remarkable that 3,000 years later, even unbelievers know some of these Proverbs, and they'll maybe even quote them without knowing that it comes from these documents that are, are so old and yet have stayed with us for so long. Now, the question we want to be asking ourselves as we look at the book of Proverbs is, how are we to conduct ourselves as parents and as children? How are we to conduct ourselves as parents and children? Now, I, I realize that some of you may not be parents, and uh, some of you may be single, or many of you may be um, parents of grown children. And so you're like, hey, hey man, that ship sailed. <laughs> you know, uh, we, we did that, and uh, what are you going to do? Just make us feel guilty about the way that we raised our kids? No, I think ultimately there's something here in God's Word for everyone as we consider parents and children, because... The way that we interact with each other in the family, particularly as, as children and as parents, is just a shadow of, like we just sang in the song, how we are to conduct ourselves as children of God, children of the Heavenly Father, and know that dependence on Him. So here's my main idea for us this morning. Embrace the Lord's wisdom. Embrace the Lord's wisdom. How? Two ways. Teach the young and listen to the old. Embrace the Lord's wisdom by teaching the young and listen to the old. So I have a two-point sermon, and the first point, just a warning, is a little longer than the second. Uh, my prayer for, for you all as you listen and for your church is that you together would be embracing the wisdom of the cross in your teaching and in your listening, even as a church family. You'd be embracing the Lord's wisdom, particularly the wisdom of the cross that we, we also sang about 
earlier in your teaching and your listening. So how can we embrace the Lord's wisdom today? First, we teach the young. We teach the young. So uh, as I mentioned earlier, I I am a parent and uh, we have three kids and all three kids I actually didn't know that you guys were going to be here today, so you'll just uh, have to bear with me for a minute. All three kids are, are they may look uh, very much alike, but they're all very different in their personalities. Yeah, um, but one thing they have in common, though they're, they have very different personalities, is they, they're not a big fan when I lecture them. <laughs> um, and I can't understand that. I mean, I have so much wisdom to offer them. Uh, I can't believe that they just don't want to sit at my feet and, and ask, you know, dad, how should we live in this, in this crazy world? Um, and, uh, as we consider that, that we are to teach the young, I mean, again, I want to, I want to pull in older parents. So parents of grown children and even singles, what is our responsibility to the next generation, right? The next generation will go into the future, They will travel to a world that we will not be able to go to. So what's our responsibility to prepare them? Uh, That brings us to, in terms of what we are to be teaching. So the content of what we are responsible as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to teach the young. What are we trying to get into their heads (laughs) and and into them? Um, And I think that brings us to the first verse I want us to consider together, Proverbs 1-7. So if you have your Bibles, um, it's right there in chapter 1. If you are unfamiliar with using the Bible, kind of turn to the middle, and you maybe, there's a good chance you'll end in Psalms, so just go a little bit further to the book of Proverbs, and uh, Proverbs 1-7. I think Proverbs 1-7 is a great theme verse for the entire book of Proverbs. Listen as I read. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. What we are to be teaching the next generation, what we are trying to get into them is the fear of God. The fear of God. Now, the fear, using a word like fear today, that could be really misunderstood, right? We are not to be teaching our children that like God is out to get them or that he is like kind of wagging his finger in disapproval as we bring him like our spiritual report cards. Now, that's not what it means to fear, fear the Lord. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Well, let's go to God's word and consider this. Uh, Proverbs 8.13 says it this way. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of the evil and perverted speech I hate. So that was Proverbs 8.13. Let's consider another uh, passage that considers the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 15.33 says, The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom, and humility comes before honor. One more verse on the fear of the Lord for now. Proverbs 3, 7 says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So I recognize I was kind of jumping all over the place. And that's going to be like the theme of this time in God's word. We're going to be going all over Proverbs. So I was in Proverbs 8, 13, 
15:33 and 3:7 if you want to look at those passages later. What do we what is the fear of the Lord when we just put these passages and the many passages in the book of Proverbs together? What does it mean to fear the Lord? Well, I think kind of a simple way that we could summarize it is a, the fear of the Lord is our right response to who God is. And it's turning from evil and that idea of turning from evil we could say is repentance and and then turning to him in in trust and faith so it's a fear that doesn't repel us from the lord but actually a fear that draws near and respect reverence and awe of his of his holiness of his beauty it's it's uh it's a, it's an interesting way to talk about how we're to respond to god to fear him um and it's, isn't it interesting that fear of the Lord, and we'll think about this here at the conclusion, is, is a similar to how we are to respond to the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll consider that in a minute. So I want you to think about the fear of the Lord as repentance, turning from evil, and then trusting in the Lord. And I think that's a good reminder for us today, because all too often we domesticate God, don't we? We put him in a box. Our interactions with God are maybe more uh, typified by mumbling a few words of, of prayer before a meal, or he becomes kind of our checkbox for the day, you know, as we look briefly at his word before we start our, our day, um, as we go to church and, you know, try to keep him happy by doing good things. Isn't that how we often interact with the holy God of the universe? rather than to fear him. You know, from the very beginning, uh, particularly when God gave his children, his people, the people Israel, his law, he was not giving them a list of rules in, his, in the law of Moses. He was, it was a revelation of what he was like uh, so that his people might respond to him for who he is in all his glory, all his majesty. Isn't that what Moses longed for in Exodus 34? That he might see God's glory. Like the more Moses got, a, 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 you know, heard from God, the more he wanted. He wanted to see God's glory. And this is what uh, Moses says to the people, which uh, Jesus will pick up and say is the greatest commandment. You know, we know the greatest commandments. If you've been, at least if you've been raised in church, you probably know it's to love him. This is Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 6. To love him with all our heart, soul, and might. That is how, so fear and love are related. Just as I was talking about before, a trusting relationship with God, drawing near to him, not repelled by his holiness and his majesty, but drawn to his terrifying beauty. It's really interesting what Moses says after he teaches God's people in the book of Deuteronomy, um, what they are to do with this uh, in terms of this response to God. He's like, this is how you are to respond to God. You are to love him. You're to fear him. You're to obey him. Um, And then this is, listen to what he says next. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way 
and when you lie down, and when you rise. Parents, the community of God is to be passing down to the next generation the fear of the Lord, the love of Him, responding to God rightly for who He is. So if that's the content, if the main thing, we could, we could look at a, a bunch of other things about what, in the book of Proverbs alone, what, the content of what we are to teach the next generation, but you can boil it down to a right response to who he is. We are to teach our children who God is and how to respond to him in repentance and trust. But then the question uh, is, how in the world are we supposed to do that? Like I said, I mean, I, our kid, my kids at least don't really appreciate my, my lectures. How are we to get into them that fear of God? Well, I think the first thing that we should recognize as we think about how we are to teach the next generation how to respond to God is that um, sometimes things are better caught than taught. Sometimes things are better caught than taught. Now, I don't want to create a false dichotomy because I think the, the catching and the teaching kind of go together. Just like if you're teaching your child how to fish, you know, you're not, you don't just, you're just not, not mute and you're just like, okay, I'm not going to say anything to my kid. I just hope he'll catch on. You know, you're, you're combining instruction also with modeling. And that's how I want to think about teaching our kids or the next generation how to fear God. And this kind of leads me to my first question for you all. Are you typified? Are you characterized by a fear of the Lord yourself? I think it's good even now where you sit to examine our lives. Am I fearing the Lord? Am I trusting him? Am I turning away from evil? The way that the Proverbs talk about it, as I read those few passages are you characterized by humility? Or are you pretty sure that you're always right in an argument? <laughs> are you wise in your own eyes? Are you characterized maybe even by greed? Lust? Selfishness? Pride? You know, we assume, I think, particularly as good church people, that there's really not much evil in us to turn away from, perhaps. Uh, certainly, that's the culture that our kids are being raised in, right? We, we're doing all that we can, and there's, there's some good in this, to affirm how good and great you are. You know, this is the, the whole self-esteem movement. How, how wonderful and awesome you are. And don't say anything bad about yourself. You want to think good thoughts, good vibes about yourself. Um, now, I'm not suggesting that we should be, uh, fall into self-loathing and just always talk about how awful we are. <laughs> um, that's actually just another form of pride. Um, but our job as parents is to teach kids to get over themselves and to stumble on the cornerstone that is the wisdom of God found in Jesus Christ. 
And so how are we doing with that as parents? Are we able to laugh at ourselves when we make a mistake? Parents, grandparents, are you able to say you're sorry to your kids or to someone else when you are rude to them, when you offend them, when you hurt them? You know, living for us as adults, living in the fear of the Lord is the primary way that we, Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go. Now, practically, you know, this is going to look different in, in different families, different seasons of life. You know, one of the things I was blessed to grow up in a home where my parents both feared the Lord and they loved him. Um, and uh, my dad would most nights, not every night, but after dinner, if we were able to have a dinner together, he would open God's word and he would read from God's word, uh, you know, a psalm or part of a story. And one of the things that, and so I've tried to continue that with our kids and we usually read God's word. One of the things that we just read as a family is uh, Tim Keller's little book, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, which is a book I would recommend to anyone. Um, I don't know what our kids thought about that book. <laughs> uh, Tim Keller can sometimes be a little bit philosophical, <laughs> but uh, that kind of gets back to what we were thinking about just a minute ago. What does it look like to get over ourselves, to not always be consumed with ourselves? Um, so there's, there's practical ways that we can do this. We should be teaching the next generation, like literally teaching them from God's word. Uh, that's one of the blessings of coming together as a church and having your kids in Sunday school. But ultimately, the responsibility lies with the parents uh, to train their kids. They can't outsource all of it to a Christian school or to church. Uh, parents are given the high responsibility of training up a child in the way he should go and in the fear of the Lord. Um, so we are to, we are to be living as a community of faith in the fear of the Lord, modeling what it looks like to live under God's good rule as God's people, um, as a church. And we are to be teaching the next generation, like literally teaching them from the Bible. Um, but it's not just words, it's not just modeling, it's not just reading Bible stories to our kids, but the Proverbs, and this might make some of us feel a little uncomfortable, the Proverbs talk a lot about disciplining your children. So I think this is another how, another way that we teach the young. We discipline them, particularly when they are young. Um, so look at, look at Proverbs 19, 18 with me. Proverbs 19, 18. Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Wow. Did you hear the choices there? <laughs> Discipline or death? Which one are you going to choose, parents? Uh, Proverbs twenty two fifteen says this, and if you would prefer just to listen to God's word, that's fine too. Proverbs twenty two fifteen says, "Folly, like foolishness, is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him." Moving backwards again to Proverbs twelve one, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Proverbs just says it how it is sometimes. Parents of young children, are you disciplining your children? 
Are you disciplining your children? Church, are you disciplining your members of your church who are persisting in clear unrepentant sin? The Bible assumes that loving parents and a loving church disciplines because of love. They, they love, um, they love their, their child or they love the sinner, which is all of us, enough to do the hard work, the tough love, which is painful in the moment, but they, they're aiming at a, a future inheritance, a future goal, which we're going to consider in a minute. But I would encourage you as a church and as young parents or as parents of young children in particular to love your kids enough to discipline them. One of the main ways, this is one of the main ways we just see in the Proverbs that we embrace the Lord's wisdom. It's not what we would have chosen. You know, it's so much easier to let things go. You know, Um, this is what Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 says. As we think about how the Lord disciplines all of us for our good. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be, be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. This is not just a, like a cultural thing. Like some, some cultures discipline their kids. Other cultures don't, and it's fine. Because um, the New Testament will pick this up. And it's, this is what it says about the Lord's discipline. That it later yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Um, Hebrews 13 quotes Proverbs 3 about how loving fathers are, love their kids enough to discipline them. Now, I think we don't, we don't have time to talk about all the ways that this might look like. I think that's good conversations to have in church community of the way, what discipline looks like in a church and, and uh, in a family. Um, but I think we need to start with just the what is very clear in scripture that obviously the way Christian parents train their kids is going to look different than the way non-Christian parents raise their kids in, in many respects, particularly on this point of discipline, Uh, because what Christian parents are aiming at for their kids um, is a different harvest. They have a different goal in mind Um, again. And that goes, brings us back to what we considered it at the top fear of the Lord. Uh, Just as God is raising a family to look different from the world, to be conformed to the image of a son, so we as parents are seeking to give our kids a category for the Lord disciplines his his children for their good. Uh, Now, as we do this, as a church and as parents, we need to we need to recognize that this is going to be misunderstood by the world and we're going to be ridiculed. Um, We're going to be taught. We're going to be told that the, you know, teaching kids the values of God's word and things from a, you know, a book that, you know, has sections that are over 3000 years old, that that is uh, even immoral. Uh, We're going to be called bigoted. Some of the things that we believe are going to be characterized as hate speech in our world. Um, 
And, uh, you know, even some Christians in seeking to be faithful uh, have been called child abusers. Um, and often people who call themselves uh, Christians are abusers. <laughs> and that is wrong. And that's when governing authorities should get involved. Um, so we need to be wise uh, together as a church family. We need to obey the governing authorities. And, but we also recognize that we obey God rather than man in these things because of what our goal is, fear of the Lord. So, so I wonder as, as parents, as adults, are we practicing what we preach before the next generation? Do we fear God more than man? Or do we basically want everyone to be happy with us and pleased with us including our own kids and how we raise them. These are challenging words. I'm preaching to myself here. Uh, It can be a hard thing for Ashley and I to consider at various ages and stages of life what even discipline looks like. Um, So there's many ways that we teach, that we discipline and instruct the next generation in the fear of the Lord. But one of the things that I really want to emphasize, it's that it's not just about getting the right information the right content into our children, into the next generation. It's not about right answers. You know, I've had a number of older parents whose children are grown um, at our church who have come to me and said, I don't understand why my child is no longer following the Lord. We did all the right things. Our, we, we, went, we did the, you know, Sunday school. We, we, they memorized Bible verses. They did youth group. They were nice kids. They were, we came to church every Sunday. I don't understand why they're not following the Lord today. Um, and that's a hard reality for many of us, that uh, our children, at least right now, are not following the Lord. And I would encourage you, though, that the Lord is sovereign. For those of you who are facing that, that burden of children who aren't following the Lord, the final chapter has not been written in their lives. And, uh, you know, they will, they will most, in, many, in most cases, outlive us. And who knows what the rest of their story will be. And if you were faithful in, in teaching them God's truth and what it looks like to fear the Lord, or if they have heard the gospel, who knows how the Lord might use that down the line. Um, so I do want to encourage you. But I think as we look at the Proverbs, sometimes we misunderstand them as, pro- as like promises. Like, if you do this, then this. But that's not how the Proverbs work. The Proverbs are uh, how, the art of living well in God's world. They are uh, axioms, the way that the world generally works. Um, but if you're wondering like, hey, I did all the right things. Why this result? Uh, I mean, it makes me think of a more modern day proverb, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Um, And that is true, particularly when it comes to spiritual things. For all of us, the reason why, if you are in Christ, the reason you are in Christ is not because someone crammed like content or information down your throat. You know, it was a work of the Holy Spirit. And so that's why we have the greatest privilege as, as we pray for the next generation to ask the, the king of the harvest to bear fruit, right? It's only the Holy Spirit that can do that. Um, but we do still have a responsibility. Proverbs wouldn't be here if, uh, you know, it, teaching us what our responsibilities are to the young um, if we didn't have a responsibility. 
But I do think it's good as we think about the, the spirit in which we are to, to teach, to instruct the young, that we don't forget the goal. We are not controlling for outcomes. We, it's not, a, it's not a, an equation, a mathematical equation, do this and then this. This is a labor, and it is a labor. It is hard work. It is exhausting. It is heartbreaking at times. But it is, it is a labor of joy and love for our joy and for their joy. Uh, So again, we have considered so far kind of the content of what we are to teach the young, fear of the Lord. We've considered how we are to do that. We are are to do that uh, by modeling, by by fearing the Lord ourselves, by disciplining, by instructing. And now I want to just consider the tone, the spirit, and that it's of joy. It's of love. Um, You know, I, I think our kids would be more interested in the Lord if they saw us rejoicing in him more. If they saw that we really felt with our affections that he is the beautiful Savior and Lord that we say that he is, I think that would have a profound impact on our kids. And again, if you did not picture that to your kids, you know, the Lord calls us to today to delight in him, to take joy in him. And that's, that's a refreshing reminder for me as I, it's so easy to look back and think, oh man, have I presented to my kids this kind of mechanical, boring, rote picture of who God is. Today is the day to delight in him, to take joy in him. And think of the power of some of these, these words that, that the Proverbs use of, of delight and joy. The, these are all over the Proverbs or the fear, even the fear. You know, we were watching um, uh, like a Netflix thing the other day and they were asking kids like, you know, age 10, 11, what's your greatest fear? And one, one little girl right away is like, oh, home invasion for sure. Home invasion is my greatest fear. And uh, they like follow, and she talked about how she was afraid of that. And then they followed up later and they're like, um, is that, you know, do you, what's your parents' greatest fear? And she's like, oh yeah, home invasion. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, do you think there's any connection there? Our kids see what we fear. They see what we love. They see what we delight in. And it has an impact on them. Now, I just heard in the car the other day, the Harry Chapman song, Cats in the Cradle. You know, and at the end, it's like, you know, hey, what do you know? My son had grown up to be just like me. And uh, that's the way that the world often works. I I, want to just consider here as we conclude this first point, the power of delight, the power of joy and delight. The the Proverbs talk negatively about how those who delight in evil, how destructive that is, right? Uh, Proverbs 121, the simple ones, the scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge. Listen to those strong those strong uh, responses. They, they actually, scoffers, those who are, are negative and foolish, they actually delight in their foolishness. They're hating and delighting in evil. Uh, Proverbs 2.14 says, the evil ones rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil. Um, and then you see in Proverbs 7 how the adulteress tempts the simple man, uh, the foolish man, with the delight of forbidden love in Proverbs 7. Delight, delighting in evil, but is powerful and it has profound effects. I love what C.S. Lewis says about pleasure and delight in screw tape letters. He basically says, Hey, when you're dealing with pleasure and delight, 
That's the Lord's domain. Delight and pleasure belong to the Lord. And all that the enemy can do, all that the devil can do is distort that. Uh, I have a little bit of a, a longer quote here from Screwtape Letters. This is, you know, one demon teacher speaking to his protege, and he tells his protege, again, this is the devil, like, fictional work, never forget that we are dealing, when we are dealing with any pleasure in its healthy and normal and satisfying form, we are, in a sense, on the enemy that is God's ground. We are on the enemy's ground. He that is God made the pleasure. All our research so far has not enabled us to produce one pleasure. All we can do is encourage the humans to take pleasure, which our enemy, that is God, has produced at times or in ways or in degrees which he, God, has forbidden. So it's almost like the enemy, the world, all they can do is like smash pleasure and delight like a mirror and pick up these broken shards of of pleasure that will cut us Um, that were, this mirror was meant to be a beautiful demonstration of God's delight and joy. And then we, we pick up just elements of it and use it wrongly and only see broken reflections of it. Um, so that's pleasure negatively, but it positively, what does it look like to, to delight in God as we train up our children in the way that we should go? Well, I mean, just Again, like I said, pr- discipline comes up all the time in Proverbs. Proverbs twenty nine seventeen says, discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give you delight. To your, he will give delight to your heart. We, do, we instruct our kids in the fear of the Lord for our joy and for theirs. We put our hope in the Lord and not in a particular outcome. Proverbs ten twenty eight says, the hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. The Lord invites us into our, his joy. He is raising us, dis- disciplining us, instructing us for his joy and for ours. And he takes joy in your sanctification as painful as it might be at times. Uh, it's painful, but it's for our good. So embrace the Lord's wisdom. Older saints, and I'll let you define what, what, what I mean by older <laughs> Um, God's, God has, uh, God's wisdom. He's put you in the station of life that you're in. You have influence and we are like, uh, one translation says in Proverbs three eighteen, um, wisdom is a tree of life to those who embrace her and those who hold on to her are happy. So I told you my first point was the longest. I'll be much briefer in my second. But if children will embrace the wisdom of the fear of the Lord, just to summarize, they must see their parents embracing the fear and the wisdom of the Lord. So parents ask daily, and adults ask daily in this church, are you living joyfully in the fear of the Lord, uh, in the one who made you to be a picture of his love? Um, but Proverbs is not only written, again, to, to old people, to parents. Actually, the book of Proverbs is framed as to to my son, Solomon's son, to the future king in some ways. It addresses the young from the very beginning. You can see that in Proverbs 1. So the second way we embrace the Lord's wisdom is we listen to the old. So point two, much more briefly, we listen to the old. You know, I think often we listen to instruction, kind of like we listen to the safety instruction from the flight attendant on the airplane. We're like, blah, blah, blah. Okay, thank you for that. Um, I think we need a a better perspective when it comes to listening to God's instruction uh, uh, to us. So I know many of the kids have, have left, but 
all of us are sons or daughters. How are we doing listening? How are you doing in the spiritual discipline of listening to God's word and instruction? Let's, let's fill that out. Let's look back at Proverbs 1 and consider why we should even bother listening if it's, or if it's just the, the flight attendant with the safety instructions. Look at Proverbs 1, 8, 9. Hear, could also translate as that as listen. Hear or listen, my son, to your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. Four, why should we, we listen? They are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Again, this is like poetry, right? It's wisdom literature. Wisdom or a parent's instruction is like valuable jewelry. And the rest of Proverbs will agree. Proverbs 8, 10, and 11. Take my instruction. This is the father's words to his son. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels. And all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Better than what we desire most in the world or that we're obsessed with in the world. Maybe it's being, being rich or successful or being well thought of others uh, by others um, is this instruction. What God delights in most in the world is not like, oh man, look at, look at Jeff Bezos just killing it. Ah, man, that makes me so happy. That's not what God says. No, God, what does God delight in? Well, one of my favorite chapters in all of Proverbs is Proverbs 8. I, I, if we had more time, I'd read the whole chapter, but let's pick it up in verse 27. Proverbs 8, this is considering what God, what God delights in. Proverbs 8, 27, when he, that is God, established the heavens, I was there. I is wisdom. So I is wisdom. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I, wisdom, was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. Friends, this is not an answer book. This is not an answer book, merely an answer book to life's problems. It's not a formula. It could be better compared to a treasure map. And the treasure is God's wisdom. This is what God delights in. And we know that the wisdom for our lives is not ultimately steps for better living, for more successful living principles, but it's the wisdom that took form in the person of Jesus Christ. This is the wisdom of God. So why should you listen to wisdom? Why should we listen? Because wisdom has spoken. Consider the wisdom of the son. Luke 2.40 says the child, Jesus even as a child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom and the favor of God was upon him. When Jesus was transfigured before three of his disciples, in Luke 9.35, a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son, the chosen one. Listen to him. Because here is the one, finally, the person who is wisdom. The Apostle Paul agrees as the Apostle Paul meditated on Jesus' crucifixion 
in 1 Corinthians 1, 22 and 25. He says, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. It's like worldly wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So why should we embrace the Lord's wisdom? Why should we listen to him? Well, because as those of us whom the Lord has saved, no. Wisdom is found in Jesus crucified and rose and risen again. This is the joyful treasure that looks like fool's gold to the world. Looks ridiculous. But we know that it's of inestimable worth. So young and old today, this message of the gospel of Christ crucified is again is simple enough for a young child to understand and profound and deep enough to get lost in for all eternity and to worship God for his wisdom demonstrated at the cross of Jesus Christ. Let's just consider for two minutes the wisdom of God in the gospel. God, holy, good, all-wise, creator, ruler, made man to be Rejoicing in his wisdom, following his wisdom, to be a picture of his wisdom, to grow in wisdom and be a representation of what God was like to the world. But what did man do? What did our first parents do? What do we do from very early age? We follow our own wisdom. We say no thanks to God's wisdom and we go our own way. We were created in the image of God to reflect his wisdom but we break the mirror, so to speak. But God sent his son, the wisdom of God. Jesus was one who always listened to the father. It was his delight to please his father. And in the mysterious wisdom of God, the perfect son of man died on the cross to pay the penalty for our rebellion against God. He was the perfect sacrifice. This was God's mysterious way of reconciling God and man so that we might reflect what he is like by being conformed to the image of his son. And Jesus rose again three days later so that we might be invited, justified, and brought back into the family of God, not just as forgiven, not just as slates wiped clean, but as sons and daughters, sons, again, yet sons reflecting what God is like for our joy and delight so that we might delight in the father forever. How do we respond to what God has done? Where we began, we fear God. We turn away from evil. We put our trust in Christ alone and his grace alone, not in our own efforts. When we look at ourselves, we recognize we fall short in many ways. So my question for you, church on the mountain is, will you trust in the Lord's wisdom today? Will you trust and embrace the wisdom of God in the gospel? Again, Proverbs 3.18 says it this way. She, that is wisdom, is a tree of life to those who embrace her. And those who hold on to her are blessed or happy.
Kids, we don't often appreciate the wisdom of our parents or all that they do for us. Um, as, and as children of God, we often take him for granted too, even as believers. But we are more dependent on God the Father than a one-day-old infant is dependent upon her mother. In God's mysterious wisdom, he made us to know him and know life through his son. So rather think of all the things that you need to do. First begin with what God has done for you. To show you how wise he is, how beautiful he is, how he, he longs for you to delight in him. So marvel that the God of the universe upholds you by his wisdom, sustains you by his grace, and rejoice that God the Father is no snake. He will not abandon you. The one who saved you will not abandon you, but as Jesus says, he loves his own to the end. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. God has embraced you in his son, so will you embrace him? Let's pray. Lord, we confess that all too often you call and we refuse to listen. You stretch out our hands to us and yet we slap your hand away and say we can do it all by ourselves, like toddlers. Lord, we try to manage our sin by minimizing it, by rationalizing it. Lord, when you offer us something so much better, you offer us forgiveness. You promise to cleanse us, to cast our sin as far as the east is from the west into the sea. Uh, Lord, you, you have given us everything that we need for life and godliness. Like a perfect parent, you have provided for all that we need, and, and you call us simply to follow you, to listen to you, to love you, to know the delight that we were created for of worshiping you, and marveling at your wisdom. So, Father, help us to fear you as we ought. We praise you as the all-wise God. And, Lord, we thank you that we will have eternity uh, to marvel at your wisdom and the heights, the unlimited dimensions of your love for us in Christ. So help us to embrace you today. And help us to know what that will look like for our lives and our families and our relationships and in this church Lord, help us. We need your wisdom. Um, Lord, as we look around the world at today, we, we recognize we need your wisdom more than ever. As we look at our hearts, we recognize we need your wisdom. We cannot do it on our own. So we pray that you would work by your Holy Spirit for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen.